Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning. If I don't know you, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon Church. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. Just turn your neighbor, and I'm not going to make you do anything weird, but just kind of do that little look around. Just enjoy people in the room. If you're on the chat, say hello to some people in the chat online. Princeton, look around the room. David and team from Surrey, glad that you guys could be there this morning. Uh, special shout out to some of our PLBC students. Uh, the semester, come on, yeah, semester has started. Uh, man, we're so glad uh, that you're here. Um, I had this plan, but I... I know a lot of them over here. I don't want to point you out. I want to kind of speak over here knowing you're here. Um, but I just want to encourage you guys as you start this semester, some of you guys, maybe your first semester, um, as you embark on this to, to learn well. I remember when I started Bible college, my, who wasn't my father-in-law at the time yet, but uh, is now. And he, he would, every freshman class, he would encourage us to, to study and learn well, not because there's grades that are dependent on it. But because on the other side of this, there's people's lives that depend on you, rightfully and correctly dividing the word of God, understanding what he's called you to. For those that maybe feel called to ministry, we're praying for you guys. We believe in you guys. We're so glad that you found yourself here. Come on, can we just give a hand to our PLBC students? Love you guys. Well, we, this won't get as much applause from uh, what I've realized in history, but we're in starting a week of prayer and fasting. All right, that was a lot better than I thought. I think I gave you a little bit of a, a hint there. Um, yeah, we have been, if you've heard about it, maybe on the pre-show, maybe you caught it, uh, this week, we're actually starting our week of prayer and fasting. And that's actually leading into what we've been calling return nights. We're in a series called Return right now. Uh, and if you're like, what are those? Maybe it's your first Sunday in a bit. We're so glad that you're here watching online. The, the pastoral leadership and Pastor Craig and Shannon, our lead pastors here at the church, just felt a stirring for a while. The Lord asking us to return. And I want to be careful. I want to maybe clarify something. Because if we get here, this idea of return, be like, it can almost insinuate like we can get our backs up. Like, well, what do you mean I need to return? I'm okay. Can I maybe suggest to you that any time I know in my life when my defense mechanisms come up and I defend where I'm at to think I'm okay, it's normally protecting my own comfort and my will rather than maybe what God's calling me to? I, just me. Just me. Maybe not you. But in this idea of return, the goal and invitation to return back to the Lord is not hey, guys, let's return to the way life was pre-COVID. Because that can be kind of like, hey, you know, we're getting back into things. Is that, they're just, you know, they want people back here. What does it look like, you know, back in the room or kind of to relaunch some things. But as we've been praying and asking the Lord, we really felt like the Lord is saying, return to me and the life that I died for you to live. And for some of us in this room, that means returning to a way of life that we have yet to live and yet to experience. For some of us, it's returning to some old traditions or rhythms or habits that, that really build our spirit. But I would invite you today to consider that if you're breathing air today in this room, if you're online or at Princeton, the invitation is for you and I to return. And we looked at last week, one of the most common ways we see in the Bible to return to the Lord is through prayer. 
Uh, and today, I want to look at a powerful companion, a strengthener and an amplifier to the discipline of prayer. We see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, through the example, the teaching, and the life of Jesus, the apostles, the early church, the desert fathers, and any major move of God that is worth writing about through history has had this discipline present and continually active as a powerful companion to prayer. Now, what I just said is, is not just kind of a preamble. That's pretty significant. What we're going to talk today is found in any great move of God, was found continually in the life of Jesus, of the apostles. And so as myself, as I look, say, okay, if, if it's there, if it's in the teachings, if it's in the example of Jesus, the early church, any major move of God, if this was present, and I want God to move my life, that, that causes my ears to, to peak up a little bit. But unfortunately, this causes most people's ears to go back down when we say that the companion to prayer is normally returning through fasting. And if you're new to church, you're not really sure what fasting is, what is intermittent fasting? Is he going to talk about the keto diet or ketosis? Clearly, I'm not going to talk from any experience about any type of keto diet or anything like that. But I want to look at this discipline, this spiritual formation tool called fasting. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today, God, that you have brought us to this place, whether we're online, in Princeton, in the room. Lord, I pray that when our knee-jerk reaction may be to dismiss, think it's for someone else, to take a day off when it comes to looking at this topic. God, I pray that we would suspend our, our maybe usual deflections. Lord, that we'd be open to your Holy Spirit to maybe put its finger on areas of our lives or our hearts where we need to return. God, would we be moldable in your hands and respond to your invitation to return. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes today, uh, it'd be a good day to take notes. If not, you can watch it on the YouTube after. We're going to move through some things pretty quickly, and then we're going to slow down a little bit more. But our bottom line today, we're going to go back at why fasting? Because the flesh is all too willing, and the spirit is all too weak. Why fasting? If anyone has ever taught young people or teenagers, or even had children, anytime there's, hey, you, you, this is something you should do, anytime in any of my classes, like, hey, here's some reading, the first question I get. Is it mandatory? Do we have to, right? If you ever led volunteers, like, hey, we got this leaders meeting. Do we have, like, it's just kind of like human nature. And like, you can get upset when you're leading it until you're not the one leading. That's the first question you have anyways. It's just all part of us. Like, do we have to? We want to know, like, what's the bare minimum effort I can put in for the maximum return, right? Just me? No one? Yeah. It's like, hey, I ate that one carrot. That's my veggies for the day. I put in the bare minimum to hopefully get the maximum results. Anyone who's Googled, like, what's the best vegetables to eat for, like, the most health so you can, like, eat the fewer amount of vegetables but still get the most amount of benefits? No one's ever Googled that. Cool. Anyways, my hope today is to take you through maybe my thought process around this idea, this discipline of fasting. Because if I'm honest, uh, it's something for most of my following of Jesus I've kind of put to the side. I never really understood. I understood some myths maybe about it. 
I uh, thought it was just too hard. Maybe it was just for the hardcore people. Uh, and didn't really see why it was all that important for me. And so as I go through, these are kind of just some of the questions as I look to the word of God and its teaching to figure out, okay, how does this apply to my life? But when looking and studying fasting, these are some of the five questions, but a couple things that I want to suggest to you or offer up to you is first, would you sus- suspend your judgment until the end? Because I know so often we can read to it, but then I promise you there will be something I say that pushes a button you would rather me not push this morning because I know it pushed all of mine as I studied. Can I encourage you to suspend your judgment, to, to stay open to the possibility that Holy Spirit might wait till the end and then process that with the Holy Spirit. Uh, stay curious, stay open to the Holy Spirit and stay teachable. And I don't say that because I have all these ideas. As you'll see today, there's a lot of quoting people much smarter, much brighter than me and looking to scripture in this topic. And two of the, uh, the extra biblical sources uh, that I pulled a lot from, if you're curious, I uh, would like to research more, uh, is the one book called The Beautiful Resistance by John Tyson. Uh, he's a pastor in New York. Uh, and The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Are two books pulled. And if you're, I actually have two chapters that are photocopied just on fasting. If you'd like that after, you can email me at Daniel at Horizon Church. It's a great read. Really helped me. But the first question, I think it's important when we talk about fasting is what is fasting? Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, one, I'm sorry. Two, uh, last week, uh, I'm not a good follow. It's just like hunting. And by, by hunting, I normally mean just trees because that's about all I see. And Zoe. Um, but I, I, I did a little poll on what people think about fasting. And it was really interesting, all of the different opinions about fasting. And when I look at what is fasting, we're going to go from my, my heart. My question is, what is the biblical definition of fasting? In a world that says you can define your reality and your truth however you would like, it would behoove us to understand that when we look to the Bible in its terms, we don't have the authority to define what that means. We allow the Bible to define what it means. Like there's a lot of terminology that we read in the Bible that mean very different things today than it did then. And so as we look at what is fasting, if we're going to, are we called to it? I want to know what is it first. So the definition, the Hebrew and in the Greek is this, a deliberate and generally prolonged abstention or not eating from eating, an abstention from eating and sometimes drinking. I don't, that's not suggested all the time because can't go a lot without water. As a means of humbling oneself before God in the Erdman's Dictionary. Or a ritual of abstaining from food and or drink for a premeditated period, practiced in the Bible primarily as means of mourning. Fasting frequently occurred in the Old Testament in a response to suffering or disaster in conjunction with other mourning rituals. So that's the definition of the words that we see fasting. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about not eating food. Not just some food, but like food. When we read the word fasting in the Bible, it's talking about no food. Good? We all there? It was like, there's got to be more to this. No, that's it. And the examples we see in the Bible, because that's what the word defines, but what's the context going around it? Every example in the Bible, every biblical uh, contemporary writing that talks about fasting from other religions or other cultures, uh, The only account that they have of fasting, when it's mentioned, when it's referred to, is only abstaining from food. 
Because today's culture, we've taken this, we've contextualized this. We use the word fasting. Oh, I'm going to fast that person for a bit. I'm going to fast my phone. I'm going to fast this, that we, we take this idea of fasting just means abstaining from anything, right? We've kind of hijacked this word in today's culture. It's only the last few hundred years that fasting meant anything other than not eating food. Like this is very recent. Even the idea of the Daniel fast, we've kind of termed this question. It was a diet, folks. For years he ate this way. If you fast for years, you'll be with Jesus eating good things in heaven. Like there's a difference between a fast and a diet. Someone found that funny. I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and, and there, there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying a Daniel fast or fasting my phone, but I think it's important when we look to Scripture and we have an expectation for Scripture to accomplish what it's meant to in our lives that we understand the same thing that it's saying. What I mean by that, to be clear, going without your phone, without TV, uh, Sabbath, without work or unneeded activity or sweets for the purpose of pursuing Jesus is an incredibly valuable discipline. What I'm not saying is, oh, it's of no benefit to fast your phone. We should all fast it more. What I'm not saying is doing a Daniel fast the way we know about it isn't a good, it's probably healthy for you and it's very difficult. And so like it's a good self-discipline. I'm not saying it's not beneficial, but I think it falls under different categories of disciplines like silence and solitude or simplicity or prayer or worship or frugality or generosity. And why this is important because my concern is that grouping what we abstain from, from a multitude of different things under the umbrella of fasting is that we may be in danger of missing out on the gift that is fasting food and the power that comes from it. There's some pretty incredible statements that Jesus makes about fasting. My concern is that if we think, oh, I can just fast my phone, it's the same way we might miss out on what Jesus is talking about. My hesitation when we grasp the authority to decide what certain biblical teachings mean in our 21st century filter, normally, and normally the case when we want to change what it means, it's in favor of my comfort and staying the same. Let's be honest. Very few times do I change what the Bible says to make life more difficult for myself, right? Anyone? Yeah, yeah I don't think so. But it's a very dangerous place to be if we really seek to follow Jesus. So just when I'm talking about fasting, I'm talking about abstaining from food. We'll get into why this is important, but I think that's important. So again, like if you need to fast your cell phone, again, that's very, that, that's just, you know, simplicity. Or that's maybe leaning into some silence and some solitude, ignoring the noise that's around you or focusing on Jesus that, to aid you in prayer and worship, all of those things. Second question, now that I know what fasting is and it's about food, my next question is, do I have to? Right? <laughs> Am I called to fast as a disciple of Jesus? And even in the poll that I did on Instagram, I used the word non-negotiable, and I got a lot of people like, well, we don't have to. You know what? You were never commanded to pray. But it's probably important that you do. Jesus said, when you pray. And right after that, he says, when you fast. There were certain things, certain assumptions that were made that the writers in the New Testament didn't see the need to say that you had to because if you want to get close to Jesus, you follow the way of life that he lived, right? And so this idea, am I called to, and there's something called orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is how we think about stuff. 
Orthopraxy is what we do with what we think about it. And as we look to the Bible, it's really important to figure out what is prescriptive. That's like, this is the things we should be doing. And what's descriptive? This is just what happened. I'm thankful that Moses' wife with the flint rock was descriptive and not prescriptive to how to handle your teenagers. If you know the story, great. If not, I won't get into it. A little bit too personal. There's certain things in the Bible that you read that it describes what happened. And by no means is that the steps for how we are to live. Lot and his daughters, that's not how to build a family. It's descriptive. There's a lot of crazy, awkward things in the Bible. It's actually one of the ways we know that it's inspired by the word of God because if anyone was trying to create a cult and, and convince people to do it, they would not include so much of what happened in the Bible because it's nuts. Like if you're trying to put your best foot forward, you don't write the Old Testament, right? You just don't. But we look at it, what's optional, what's beneficial, and what's essential for followers of Jesus. We need to figure this out. See, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we read that thankfully are not prescriptive like we talked about. But the things we look for, it's really quick. Again, we're going to get somewhere. For those that are like, okay, this, it's building a platform for what we're looking at. You look at for parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament when we're building doctrine or how we, what we believe about something that encourages us to live based on that belief. So we're looking at fasting and want to see, hey, is it in the Old Testament and is it in the New Testament? You know, is there explicit teaching in multiple different places that don't contradict? Or was Paul speaking to a very specific church about a very specific issue? Those are things you're looking at when you're building a general understanding for how we are to operate. You look at the example of biblical characters, Jesus being our primary source. Was it in his life? Was it in the apostles? Was it in the church? Was this a normal thing that we see happening? You look at the type of literature it was in. If it's prophetic and the minor prophets, some of this on Facebook, I'm seeing a ton of things that I don't think the minor prophets sat down writing about the 2021 uh, vaccine passport. I'm sorry, that's probably not what they had in mind when they wrote that verse. You got to look at certain things. That was a uh, that was uh, that's that's not a statement either way. But when you take something out of the literature that it was written in, the Psalms when it's poetic, sometimes you don't take and build out robust theology on an emotional letter that David was writing to the Lord. You look at the literature that it was in. And lastly, the example of church history you look at and what has been proven throughout church history to be something that honors the Lord, right? So we're looking, that's how we build it. And so I want to look at that. And fasting, is fasting taught in the Bible? I'm not saying an example, but first, is it like, hey, commanded? In the Old Testament, we see only one place in the Mosaic Law that fasting is commanded, which actually shocked me when I was like, oh, it's all over the Old Testament. Yeah, it's there. But there was only one day. I think it was a three-day period in the Day of Atonement. That was the only time where it was actually commanded to fast, but it's there. Later in the Old Testament, it becomes a little bit more commonplace, people fasting. We see that David fasted to try and not have his son uh, uh, die, that Samuel fasted, that sometimes people fasted to try and change God's mind. We see that sometimes people fasted because they were guilty and they wanted to get rid of shame. Sometimes they fasted so that they hopefully would win the battle that they were about to go in. But we see that in the Old Testament, this is kind of how fasting was. It was a belief that was somewhat borrowed from different religions, 
It's a little bit of like uh, in, in the ancient Near Eastern thought, like in Egypt, and, and uh, they would believe that there was a certain fertility god that brought them food and brought them grain. And so if things weren't going well, they would fast to please this deity and they would provide it. And we see that the contemporary different religions surrounding the people of Israel begin to blend in a little bit with that. As we get closer to Jesus, we see that fasting kind of became a way of showing off. We see that Jesus addresses this, but it becomes a regular part of the religious life in the New Testament. We see that Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast in Matthew 6, when he's talking about how the kingdom of God should operate. There's an assumption that if you follow Jesus, fasting is something that we do. In Matthew 9, Jesus said that his disciples should fast once he's gone. When he's questioned about, why don't your disciples fast? He says, hey, when I'm here, they don't need to. But when I go, that will be the time to fast and to mourn. And so we see that it was an expectation when Jesus went to be with the Father. In Matthew 17, 21, Jesus teaches his disciples that some things, in this situation, a demon, won't come out, but only through prayer and fasting. I hate that verse. Only? And that tells me in my life that there's certain things that doesn't matter how much I pray or how hard I worship, some things, according to Jesus, only come out through prayer and fasting. Why? I don't know. But I know that he said that. And so I, I have to figure out what do I then now do with that? So we see that it's taught in the Bible. And are there proven examples in the Bible and in church history? So not only the teaching of the Bible, but is there examples where we see fasting? The Old, Old Testament, like we talked about, there's plenty of examples. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see two types of fasts. There's a corporate call to fast, which is what we're doing this week, where the, the congregation of the church body say, hey, together we're going to set apart this time and we're going to seek the Lord through prayer and fasting. We see that all Israel do it at times. There were certain feasts, like I said, the Day of Atonement that was set aside. So that's something that happened. And then there were these other times where either by the own kind of stirring of a person or by the leading of the Holy Spirit, as we see in the life of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, where the Holy Spirit would actually lead us into a time and a period of fasting. So we see those as examples. At the, like I talked about, the inauguration of Jesus' ministry in Luke 4 for 40 days said the Holy Spirit led Jesus to fast. It wasn't his idea. It said Jesus full of the Holy Spirit before he was allowed by the Father to start his earthly ministry. 40 days of prayer and fasting. We see it all throughout Acts. We start to see it, but a little bit differently than we did in the Old Testament. We see in Acts that Paul at his, or Saul at his conversion, he's blind and he fasts for three days waiting for the Lord to bring an answer to his prayer and healing to his eyes. We see that when uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they're there praying, they were just praying and fasting. And it was in this time of seeking the Lord that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have determined for them. We see that the Lord spoke purpose and spoke vision for what was next as there was a time of corporate prayer and fasting. Later, we see Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas in Antioch where they go out and they start teaching and doing things where people are getting saved and they needed to establish the church. But before they would choose people for leadership, they had a time of prayer and fasting because they wanted the will of the Lord more than they wanted the will of themselves. We see the desert fathers, if you read the stories, their lives were full of fasting. 
and any significant move of God in history, people who understood how to commit themselves to prayer and fasting. We've been reading a couple books as a staff around revival, around moves of God. And every single time I'm reading about a significant move of God, there's something to me I'm like, ah, oh, maybe this one happened without fasting. Nope. Ah, <laughs> oh, maybe this one happened without prayer. Nope. <laughs> and yet I, I, I got to ask myself, why am I seeking a situation or a scenario where I can see God move significantly outside of the way and the pattern that he, for whatever reason, saw necessary to set up for me to follow? Am I still that in love with my own comfort? Am I still that in love with my own desires? Am I still that in love with being in control of what I get to do? Am I still that concerned with what I have to do versus the path I take to follow Jesus and become more like him? So the conclusion to this question of am I called to fast? Anytime you find yourself asking, do I really need to? in relationship to your discipleship and your apprenticeship to Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus and you're reading like, ah, do I really have to do that? Anytime we make justifications that directly or indirectly protect or propitiate our comforts over, uh, over following Jesus should be a red flag to us. Something I've asked the Lord to begin to reveal to me. And once I did, it's, it was terrible. <laughs> How often? I make excuses to myself or in my mind to get out of following Jesus. See, we avoid fasting because it confronts our love for comfort. Why fasting? Because the flesh is all too willing and the spirit is all too weak. The third question I think it's important to ask is what does fasting accomplish? If we now know what fasting means going without food, if we know that if I follow Jesus, it's part of the deal. Again, like you don't have to pray. You don't have to do these. But if you want to grow in Jesus through the teaching and the example of Jesus and the apostles, fasting is part of that deal. We're called to, I, I, okay, well, what's the point, right? Like what, what should I be expecting? I want to hit on two things that I think that fasting we actually don't see that I know I believed at times uh, in my life and, and that I think can be really helpful. Number one is fasting does not gain you right standing with God. Because we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the different religions. They believe that fasting gained them favor with the deities or with God. But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that grace is by grace alone. It is done by nothing on my works or your works could ever gain or add to the perfect work of the cross. I think this is important to understand because I remember fasting, be like, God, if I fast you, then you'll like me more. If I fast, then I'll be, then you'll, you'll, you'll listen to my prayers because fasting will prove my devotion to you. It'll prove that I love you. Can I tell you that's actually not what the Bible teaches? That you are loved by God because of Christ and Christ alone. That there is nothing that you can do to earn more of or lose less of. Now, there are natural consequences, absolutely. But if we think that I'm putting on a hunger strike to gain more of God's love, that's striving and self-righteousness. That's not the gospel of Jesus. And second, that if I fast, it'll produce spiritual fruit no matter what. I did this in January. 
I had never fasted for a long period of time. Uh, Pastor Mike is like the Yoda of fasting in my mind. When it comes to it, he is just a G. Like he fasts so much and he's so good at it. And he convinced me to do a 21-day water fast. And I was like, ah, this ain't going to work. But he's like texting me every day, encouragement. Like, oh, okay, brother. As only, oh, brother, it's going to be awesome. Um, for those of you know, you know. Um, he said, hey, you know, the first three to five days, it's the worst, so don't quit. I just want to let you know, that's true. If you want to do an extended fast, the worst part is the first week. So at least stick around for the second week because it gets better, right? But he's texting me like, hey, today you might feel this, and oh, you know, your tongue might be, have a lot more like white paste on it. I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, like, how did he know? Right? Like, he's very experienced in fasting. But because I, and your body's doing different things, and for anyone who's a self-diagnosing um, doctor with their PhD in Google, like myself, right? Like you're like, oh, like because if I go like eight hours without eating, I get a little dizzy. I'm like, oh, I might be a little bit diabetic. I can't eat. Oh, I, I, I need to eat. You know what happened? I got dizzy and my body adjusted and I was fine. But I did, I guess maybe it's a good point. My cousin who is phase two or uh, type two diabetes, that's not the case for him, Right? And so we're talking about food and with fasting food, I do believe that if there's like a medical exemption, if there's a a specific reason that you cannot fast food that would endanger your health, I think there's a bit of a process that you can work through to figure out, I was going to talk about in a second, what, what can you do that can accomplish the same type of thing that fasting will? But most of the people that bring up that excuse do not have that exemption. Just from experience. Well, what about those who can't fast? Can you fast? Well, yeah. What does it matter? No, no, but what about those who I want to, you know, in solidarity with those that, that, that can't fast? Is it you? No? Then let's stop talking about it. Right? So just a, that's just maybe how I work. But the idea that we think if I just fast, that accomplishes spiritual growth. I realized that I was doing this and thinking this when I didn't want to stop Instagram and, and Netflix while I was doing the 21 day fast. And my, my excuse was this. Well, if I don't do that, what's going to distract me from my hunger? And I realized in the moment, I missed the whole point. The point is not to distract you. The point is to help you engage in a deeper, meaningful way by partnering fasting with other spiritual disciplines to connect to the Lord. The goal wasn't to ignore your hunger as some of us do our alarms in the morning. The goal is to allow hunger to be your alarm to find your way back to the feet of Jesus in a deeper level. Don't run from that hunger. Allow that hunger to push you closer to Jesus, not further into other distractions. You see, Isaiah 50, uh, 58, 3 to 4, it actually talks about this type of fasting. People that think, oh, if I just fast, that accomplishes the goal and Jesus must be happy. It says, why have we fasted? And if you have not seen it, Why have we humbled ourselves and you took no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. Fasting is not a magical spiritual manipulation to get God to do what you want. It's not what fasting is. So what is fasting? See, I think to look at what fasting is, we need to understand the human condition really quickly for those who might be new to church. Genesis chapter three. 
when sin entered the world, it marred humanity. There's a verse in chapter three when it talks about, it says, if you eat of this fruit, which Adam and Eve did and they sinned and they separated from God, you know the story. If not, you can read it in Genesis three. It's a great read. But it says, if you eat it, you will surely die. And in that moment, there were two fulfillments of what was said. In that moment, there was an eventual fulfillment that Adam and Eve eventually in their physical bodies did die. But there was an immediate fulfillment in that moment where their spiritual life died. That part that could connect with the Lord. This, this part where it, 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 it died in there. There was two fulfillments of that. A lot of scholars believe that Adam and Eve were not originally created to die. But sin brought a curse on all of humanity. Everything we live in has been skewed because of sin. And we see the Old Testament, and there's a temporary uh, installment to have relationship between God and man. And Jesus comes not to do away with the law, but to completely fulfill the law in a beautiful way. He died for our sins, and then he rose again to afford us a new life, this beautiful thing. And then Paul picks it back up in Ephesians chapter 2, and Jesus also mentions it to a religious ruler where he says, you must be born again. And just like we saw an eventual fulfillment and an immediate fulfillment of the death that sin brought in Christ, we see an eventual fulfillment of being born again, that one day when this physical body dies, we will get resurrected bodies, that we will be with Jesus in his kingdom. There's an eventual fulfillment of that. But the moment when you say, I am a sinner, Jesus, would you come in and forgive me? There is an immediate fulfillment. You are born again in the spirit. Your spirit is now made alive. Paul says that you are alive in heavenly places, spiritual places, that every spiritual blessing that the father has, you have right now in heavenly places which means we exist in two realms. For those who follow Jesus, we exist in this physical world and the demands of it, but just as real, just as important, we exist in a spiritual realm. And we live by the Spirit, that part of us that connects with the Father, that connects with the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand, and our lives today are never free of the battle between your flesh, which is your sin nature, your desires for self, your desires for comfort, and your spirit, that desires the things of God. Do you understand that? So everything we live in is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And if you are like me, as our bottom line was today, the flesh is all too strong and the spirit is all too weak. See, the goal is that we would become like Christ through a process of reordering our whole lives where the flesh no longer rules but comes under submission to the spirit of the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? That this is, this is the goal of following Jesus. It's not to say that the body is evil. God created the body, but it's called to come under submission to the Holy Spirit and his leading and his guiding. And fasting is one of the most effective ways that we can deny our flesh and feed our spirit. That's why it's important to say, you know, oh, social media, it's this and that. Some people I have talked to be like, oh, you know, it'd be way harder for me to fast social media than food. I said, oh, really tough guy. Go three days and come back to me and let me see how that works. Because I can go three days without my phone a whole lot easier than I can go three days without eating. There's something connected in ourselves, this longing, this desire, this ability, this, this immediate gratification when we're hungry that affects us. Again, it's not bad. It's not an evil thing. 
But there's times where the Lord would have us deny our flesh so it becomes weaker, that we might have an opportunity to pair with fasting something like prayer that can feed and build our spirit. If you've never prayed and fast, I don't know why, but there's just a greater clarity. There's a greater connection with the Lord. When you're in the middle of a fast and every, you're not just sitting there grumpy and upset and hangry, but every time you get hungry, you say, Lord, let me feast on your spirit. God, thank you. Lord, for what you're doing. God, I need you more, Lord. Lord, would you come right now and you begin to pray for certain things, you begin to contend. There's, there's like a closeness that just doesn't seem to happen when you're eating a Big Mac and doing the same thing. Yes, you can pray with a Big Mac. You might need to pray for the Big Mac. But something happens when we deny our flesh that gives space and opportunity to operate in other disciplines that build our spirit. C.S. Lewis said this, says, you and I have a need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness. Oh, Daniel, it's not that bad. I don't think it is. John Tyson, quote in his book that I mentioned, says, there are many good things that we are allowed to partake in as recipients of God's grace in all of its forms. But at times, these gifts move into categories of entitlement and addiction. They begin to become our default understanding of discipleship in a Western context. We binge watch entire television shows without thought, consider wine essential at any real celebration, and we spend disproportionate amounts of money on eating out compared to disciples of Jesus in almost any other part of the world. All of these things slowly numb our spiritual senses in our walk with God. What does fasting do? Fasting denies and weakens our flesh while making opportunity and space to strengthen our spirit. Family, this this doesn't need to be a 21-day fast. This week preparing for this message, I decided to fast lunch because I felt it pretty hypocritical to be eating while studying for a message on fasting. (laughs) And I can tell you those moments where it was lunch and I'm like, Lord, I just desire you more. God, would you speak? And I made time, I, and I didn't have any meetings. I didn't try and busy myself. I'm just, I'm, I'm really trying to learn to say, God, I'm available for you in these moments. Can I tell you, there's moments of clarity with the Lord that I've been praying for, for this year. I was like, oh God, you're right there. And I'm not saying if you pray and fast, it's gonna be like that every time because I've followed the Lord long enough to know I'll try the same thing a different day and it doesn't seem to be the same way, but oh man, am I so grateful when he shows up in ways where he speaks and begins to reveal areas in my heart that are just different. Friends, if you've never fasted before, start with one meal a day. And rather than busying yourself, slow down. Stop. Allow the hunger to act as an alarm to say, Lord, I'm here. And I acknowledge that you are too. God, I just want to be with you. You're not trying to earn favor. It's a tool to wake you up to the spiritual realm that is also real around us all the time. Fasting denies our physical cravings for food. In its place, we expend the energy and effort in spiritual practices to long after Jesus rather than our next meal. 
See, fasting is one of, is one of God's greatest tools for reordering or reorienting our longing away from the flesh and back towards God. All of us have deeply ingrained patterns, dopamine reward mechanisms, neural pathways centered around a need for physical satisfaction. And fasting breaks these default connections and reorients us towards a greater food, intimacy with and enjoyment of God. Katie and the the team, if you guys want to come up. So why is fasting so important for today? Richard Foster says it this way. He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other good things. You know, this week as I was just praying and just asking, there was, I, I came across my devotions that, that verse where Paul says, if you've heard it, I think it's in Romans 7, says, you know, God, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things that I want to do, I, I don't, or the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. As I was journaling, I felt like the Lord said to me, Daniel, you can't even say that verse with honesty. Because the reality is, it's very rare that I don't do the things that I want to do. It's very rare that I find myself actually denying my own urges or my desires for selfishness to take a break or you deserve this to speak my mind to begin to wonder, God, why is it that it's so easy for me to go three more episodes deep into a Netflix show, but it's so unappealing to open my Bible and to journal and spend time with the Lord? Why? God, I long to be able to pray that I actually desire to seek you, but I don't. Because the reality is most of the time, I just don't desire to seek him. I love my comfort. I love my routine. I love putting in the bare minimum in my relationship, hoping that my salvation will be secure and maybe a couple other good things. But then I read of revival that sweeps nations. I read of the prayer revival in New York City where New York City shut down for an hour of lunchtime where people gave up their lunch and they prayed wherever they were and it shaped a nation. They say, God, I don't even have it in me to act the way that they did to see what they saw. Because far too often we look at the life of Jesus or the apostles or people that stir and spark revival and we look at their lives and how they live and you say, what do I have to do the way that they did? Rather than looking at their lives and saying, Lord, what do I need to do so that I can live the way that they lived? So that I can pray for the sick and see them healed? So that my daughter can grow up in a nation that loves Jesus and understands what God has called them to? So that my family members that don't know God would experience his power and his presence in a way that would be undeniable? Why fasting? Because my flesh is still far too real and it leads me far too often. And I need the Holy Spirit to come and strengthen my spirit, man. There's nothing magical in fasting. It just puts your flesh in its right place in submission to the Lord. And understanding that although I'm hungry, I won't die. But Lord, there's something I need more than physical nourishment. I need you, Jesus. 
So where do we start? Engage in the corporate call. It's real simple. I would suggest to you that when your church, if you call this home, says, hey, we have a week of prayer and fasting, you no longer need to pray if you should fast. The Lord's already spoken. We get to fast. You get to give up some things to experience the Lord in ways that you maybe haven't been. So we return to the Lord in fasting. And again, the medical exemption, absolutely. And, and, and talk to, I am no doctor, but maybe it means delaying your meal an hour so that you can allow that hunger to draw you to prayer, then you can eat. I don't know. Let's talk. Let's talk to your doctor. Let's figure that out. Maybe you never fasted. Try lunches. Or whatever meal might be hardest for you, try it. And don't just busy yourself. I had to delay a hunting trip this week because I didn't want to pass out on a mountain alone <laughs> if I was fasting. I plan to fast. I reorient my life. You will never find free time. You need to make time to fast. Commit to it. Decide how you will fast. One full day, full fast, no water. I have a full fast with water. Maybe it's a meals, maybe it's a mixture. Encourage you not to get too religious or, or, or kind of systematic about it, but decide what you're gonna fast. Because if you go into it like, oh, I'm not sure, maybe I'll try and fast. I tell you by lunch, you'll be certain that you're only supposed to fast breakfast. <laughs> and bless the Lord, you're done. But decide, the goal is not to distract yourself from your hunger pains. The goal is to engage in the things of the spirit in a deeper way and allow the hunger pains to direct you there. Prayer, some you can add to that as well. In private and corporate, we talked about those times. Silence, solitude, extended times of the Holy Spirit led examining your heart and your life, Bible reading, journaling, worship, simplicity, frugality. These are all disciplines that you add to your fasting. Come up with a plan. Turn the TV off. Get a good devotional book. Reach out to someone. What's your plan? At least give it a try. And I encourage you to do it with something or just do it with someone. There's no way I would have made it without Pastor Mike. I told him all the times, so I'm going to quit. And he gave me some of the best advice. He goes, quit tomorrow. Because it's a really bad habit to get into giving to temptation in the minute of temptation. Delay your gratification. If you're gonna quit, it's okay, but not now. I'm gonna, if I'm going to quit, I think, okay, it's just too much. I'm at least gonna put my flesh underneath my spirit one last time and say, fine, tomorrow. And maybe wake up in the morning and see what the Lord would say. And commit to practice. This is not perfection. I know in a room this size, some of us will start out to do it and we'll say, oh, I'm gonna go the week with no food and you'll make it to Monday night with no food. They call it a spiritual practice for a reason. You're developing muscles you haven't used before. Give yourself some grace. Jesus already has. Because again, I sometimes we think like, oh, I don't get the promise because I didn't go five days. I only went four days. Again, this is not some spiritual exchange to get from God what you desire. It's to deny your flesh. And if you've never done that, you do two days and you wanted to do four, but you only got to two, that's two days where your flesh took a seat to your spirit. Amen. That's awesome. That's something to celebrate. And lastly, I'd like to encourage you to engage in fasting as a rhythm of your life individually. 
I was reading about a group in Atlanta that in response to a prophetic word, this group of pastors wanted to see something change in their city. And they felt like the Lord said they were called to fast three days a month until they saw it break. So they committed to it. It was, just, it was a regular routine. Said, Lord, I, I, and I, I'm realizing now I need this more in my life than just in January and just in September. Because in between, my flesh gets all too strong. So I'd encourage you to, to pray and say, Lord, what is it? Maybe it's a lunch one day. Maybe it's three days a month. Maybe it's one day a week. Uh, whatever, I'm not sure what it is. But look for things that'll help build a practice of denying your flesh and partner with fasting, another spiritual discipline that's gonna build your spirit. Why fasting? Because the flesh is all too willing and the spirit is all too weak. And what I believe the Lord wants to do in our time is far too significant for us not to be led by the spirit. Family, let's pray and David and Princeton, you can get ready to take over. And in a minute here, we'll release the post show online. Father, we love you. God, I thank you that you gave us a gift in fasting that can help us better follow you. God, I pray for those in this room who've never fasted, maybe a little bit nervous. Lord, I thank you that you're leading, you're guiding is always for our betterment. God, I thank you for your grace that leads us to fasting, that sustains us in our failures or their shortcomings that leads us through it. But God, I pray that you would raise up a church that's willing to deny their flesh and their sin nature and longings to grow closer to you, to see that their spirit would lead their lives. Lord, as we head into this week of prayer and fasting, God, I pray that you would do only what you can do. Lord, I, I don't know how and why it works sometimes, but God, you say that certain things only come out through fasting. So God, I pray for whatever those certain things are in our lives. Maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a desire, maybe it's an addiction, whatever it is. But God, I pray that as we take a step to deny ourselves, God, would you do what only you can do? Jesus, we love you. And Lord, as we head into this week, Lord, the call is to return to you. God, would you help us as we return, not only through prayer, but also with fasting. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.